Welcome to Launch Your Practice, the show that helps therapists build a thriving private practice. I'm your host, Megan Hamilton, and each week I'll be sharing insights and strategies to help you grow your business and achieve financial success. Running a business is not something that we're taught in school, so I've created this podcast to help you learn and avoid some of the sidesteps and mistakes I have made to help you build a profitable private practice. So if you're ready to transform your business, join me on this journey to building a profitable private practice. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hi, friends. It's Megan with Launch Your Practice. Thank you for being here today. And I want to welcome our guest, Mike Mathers. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you. Tell us a bit about you and your practice. Yeah, I will. So I just want to say, like, I'm really nervous. (laughs) Yeah, well. In in a good way. In a good way. Most people I interview have never been on a podcast. So that's. This is it. This is like, you know, the first one. So. Exciting. It's I'm nerve sighted, as my daughter would say. Oh, I like that. I like that term. Yeah. And, you know, I've been working on this book. Yeah. called Curious AF. I'll explain the AF later because I'm sure no one can figure that out. <laughs> and I've been working on it for like a year and a half right now. And, you know, I'm not super big into the like manifest your dreams and you'll get abundance and all that. But like I did engage in a little bit of that. And one of the things I wanted to manifest was being on a podcast to talk about the book. Oh my. <laughs> and it happened. So- so it, it feels really cool. You know, thank you so much. I'm really excited because we, we started talking about three months ago, trying to do this. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation. So, yeah, me um, too. and so I have a little technique when I'm nervous. Others might've heard of this, you know, picture people in the audience in their underwear. So if you're out there listening, just imagine, you know, I'm picturing you in your underwear. Hey, that didn't really work. And, <laughs> you know, the other thing is partly intentional because that was a really weird thing to say. And I'm kind of a weirdo. So I'm going to say some weird things. I just wanted to rip that bandaid off and not let my imposter syndrome getting in the way of me being fully authentic here. So I'm going to say some weird things. Hopefully it's funny and informative in equal measures at times. And I'm just really passionate about this book. So again, really, really grateful that I have this opportunity to talk about my passion with curiosity. I think it's a superpower. I'll say more about that. And, and Megan, thanks again for this opportunity. Yeah, I'm always excited to introduce therapists who are also doing other things like that is my jam is to be, you know, I'm a therapist, and I'm also doing this podcast like so I just appreciate you sharing a bit about your story and kind of how you've progressed to this point because I think it's such an inspiration for the rest of us. Writing a book is a really cool thing, as I'm sure, like preparing to do a podcast is, mm. you know, a lot of things that go into it, even like, you know, a year and a half in without it being finished. It's other than, you know, having my children and meeting my lovely person who's loved my life. It's like one of the best things that's ever happened to me is writing this book. So I'll say more about that. Just go. Can I dive into how I got started in private practice and back? Yeah. Tell me t- you're a therapist. Tell, tell the audience about your practice. Like where, where are you? What do you do? What do you, what gets you revved up about work? Can I start at the beginning? You can start wherever you like. This is, I'm just starting. You. You, so you can start wherever was, you like. It was a lovely day in Nova Scotia, 1977. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So I have a master's in the philosophy of mental disorder. I got that in King's College in 2003 to 2006. 
And, you know, I, I went over there and did that degree and then found out no one in 2006, no one would pay me to talk to deconstruct the underlying philosophical assumptions behind the construct of the categorical model of diagnosis of mental disorder until I was blue in the face. Whew, that was a lot. But, you know, so I, I, I was like, I got to figure out what to do with this academic degree. And that's when I decided I want to do a degree in counseling. Came to Vancouver, always wanted to live here. I'd spent a lot of time in the 90s in the rave scene, another part of my origin story for maybe another episode. But came to Adler University, did my master's in counseling, started working in the downtown east side in 2008. And that was a real recognition that education wasn't going to happen in universities, but like on the streets, not like literally, but sort of literally at times. Anyway, I was completing my master's. I did training in existential analysis at the same time while going through that working in the downtown east side that was with alfred langle who's a close colleague of victor frankel's and that really turned me inside out and helped me better understand my life and become who i am so started running addiction treatment groups it's awesome was doing really cool stuff that program then got axed after the olympics in mm. 2010 i wasn't quite done my degree and i couldn't start a private practice so i started working in a homeless shelter with youth and just building my private practice on the side mm. So I was able to leave that shelter job when I got a contract to be a co-facilitator in forensic group for men who have been convicted of sexual offending. Mm-hmm. And I ran those groups for a number of years and just continued to build my practice on the side. So as a business, I, I really did everything ass backwards. You know, I don't, don't do what I did. But at the same time, I really love that I built my business and my brand based on my reputation for the work I was doing as an addiction specialist. Like it was slow, like drip, drip, drip. But then word got out there, word of mouth, you know, from clients. I didn't have a website. I've just completed a website now, like 14 years in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's exciting. You know, I had an office and sometimes had one client a week and I was doing the same client each week, not different people. And that'd be for months until I finished with that one person and someone else would start. So that's kind of like how I guess started, but it was really cool to have those contract groups on the side and just okay. learning so much there. And so, you know, I, I, I think that like, I don't know how much to get into this, but just that idea, that dirty little secret in the counselor training world that so much learning happens on the backs of clients, you know, sure. people don't come out competent therapists. Um, I certainly didn't, even after my two master's degrees and my experiences and, you know, having an office, welcoming someone in and I made a lot of mistakes and they were so valuable. You know, I remember this one guy came in and he was ambivalent about whether he had a, you know, a substance use problem. And I just started throwing addiction worksheets at him saying, we're going to create a relapse prevention plan. You know, I was freaking gung ho from the workbooks I was buying. And, you know, he never came back. (laughs) And of course, right. I learned so much on how I fell on my face there, you know, in terms of like meeting people where they're at and working with ambivalence and not pushing change on people just because I want to, I don't want to feel unworthy and I want them to get better, you know, so much learning from those opportunities. And so I just, my advice or my motto for novice therapists, people just starting out is to really Yeah, just like get the piece of paper, you know, get out there and then you can really start learning and find a really good mentor because that's the best thing for you and the people that you'll serve, you serve Mm -hmm. in the future. So Totally. And you're currently still practicing and are you in Vancouver? Yeah, yeah, I am. And so I ran a lot of groups and worked with a few different organizations and agencies, was the clinical director of an addiction treatment center 
worked at Boreal Wellness with public safety, first responders and public safety, first personnel with PTSD, and it was a crash course in trauma. And since that, my private practice really took off, you know, I've been building it on the side, working with individuals, specializing as an addiction therapist and psychedelic medicine, psychedelic therapy work started happening around the same time. 2018. So that's a big part of what I'm currently doing. I got trained by MAPS in their MDMA for PTSD protocol. That was going to be for a study on treatment resistant eating disorders. That never happened. But I am doing a study at UBC with clairvoyant therapeutics. We're doing psilocybin specific therapy for alcohol use disorder with motivational enhancement therapy. And so that's a really big piece of what I do. And then I'm a trainer with a psychedelic training organization called ATMA. So I I teach and train people in in psychedelics. So that's a really big passion along with working with individuals and families with substance misuse concerns. Wow. That's amazing. And you are also finding time to work on this book in amongst life and family and these projects and all these initiatives and then writing on the side somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been like that process, you know, like just, I've learned so much from falling on my face with that, you know, like I don't have time to write. Okay. Well then write when you have 20 minutes, you know, like I'm up 6am, my kids aren't up yet. I'm having a cup of tea and at the table, like so many mornings, at least having a great time writing. We'll see if it's, if it's great, useful stuff and makes a difference in people's lives. Right. But feeling like I was doing that and just kind of like plugging away and chipping away and finding my thoughts to be able to do that was, was the key. One more thing I just wanted to say too was, you know, we just had a brief United Breeze conversation and you had that question about like, how do you keep it sweet? And I've been thinking about that. And I thought that was like a really cool question. Can mm-hmm. I speak a little bit to that? Please. Yeah. How, how do you keep it sweet for yourself? Yeah. Tell us, tell us the answer. Cause this is really, really important. This is like, this is not like driving, being a therapist is not like driving a truck or working in retail, nothing against people doing that, you know, but like, different. we really, really got to be intentional about what we do outside of work to be able to continue to show up. And so how you keep it sweet, I think is a really great way of looking at that. So I just, I just really appreciate it. Your question. So I, I really love my tools, you know, motivational interviewing, existential analysis, acceptance and commitment therapy, something called invitation to change mm. uh, just for families of those with problematic substance use. And not that like the tools are the work, but, you know, I've just learned so much from these like approaches to trying to understand the human experience essentially is what I think they are. And, and how to trying to understand how to, there's a book called persuasion is healing, trying to persuade people on the healing journey and, and refining the tools to help with that. I mean, ultimately as an existentialist, I think the person of the therapist is the tool. So I'm not like saying it's all about interventions, but I love learning these tools from these approaches and learning from great masters in these fields. And I had to feel like really privileged to have a lot of them. So that really keeps it sweet, that desire to learn. So I guess part of the last point is that, you know, I always sort of feel like I'm on the precipice of who knows what comes next. Like I have no idea, you know, what's going to happen in my career in my life. I'm a curious motherfucker. And, you know, clearly based on the title curious AF now I've filled in the AF for people that didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I am curious as fuck and I want you to be as well. (laughs) So I feel really confident in what I think I know. And I know a lot about helping people with their emotional distress, quality of life issues. And at the same time, I feel like 
an empty headed babbling brook sometimes who's just figuring things out. You know, I say things and people share with me and I'm like, oh, wow, I just learned something. You know, sometimes I finish sessions with people and I just start writing my ideas about curiosity because of what they taught me based on their experience. That keeps it really sweet, that interaction, that interactive piece. You know, there's a quote from an existentialist. Clients will only go as far as the the therapist is willing to go inside of themselves. But that wasn't really the quote. I, I mix up my existentialist quotes. The one I wanted to say was, in psychotherapy, it's a relationship where both people need to be willing to be changed by it. And I think that's really important, not hiding behind our technical competence or our degrees, but just being a real human willing to show up and be like, this is, this encounter has impacted me and I'm different because of it. And letting people know that. So I guess for me, the sweet spot's really between somewhere between like full hearted confidence and pride and like stomach turning humility. And another thing that really keeps it sweet is the recognition that as I show up more fully as myself unapologetically without like censure or editing or pretending to be something else, you know, the better it seems to be for what people get out of interacting with me. And so this permission to be authentic, you know, yeah, been like a cold drink of water to get this feedback from people that I can be me authentic as fuck. And, you know, that's really sweetened the pot. It makes it a lot simpler. I don't have to pretend to be something else other than me. (laughs) What a concept, right? Well, that's a great place to be and a great place to finally land. And I, I hope we all get there as therapists someday in some way. And I don't know that we all do, but I think that's the goal definitely. Cause that's the best place to practice. Yeah. And it's shifting ground. Like, I don't think it's ever like somewhere you arrive and this will really get into things we're going to talk about around this concept mm-hmm. of unconscious unworthiness. Like, I don't think we ever attain worthiness knowing what I think I know about the human brain and nervous system and the attachment system and evolutionary dynamics that have shaped us to be the creatures that we are. So I just don't think that's, but, but certainly as something to aim for and land on most more of the time and to experience that sweetness. Yeah. That's totally something that can be enhanced for sure. And this really gets into the idea, you know, that started our desire to have this conversation around the myth of imposter syndrome. You right. know, you reached out to me and you're like, yes, I heard you want to, we had some things to say about imposter syndrome. We get on the phone and I'm like, yes, it doesn't exist. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is the big one. Yeah. We're dropping the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I mean, I, I think the phenomena itself is real. I just don't think it's a syndrome, you know, but the, the, it really comes from this idea that if we think if we're seen fully as we are, we will be rejected. And so really keeping it sweet for me is, you know, just running a training group in psychedelic assisted therapy. I get so emotional sometimes I'll just start crying about something. I mean, to be clear, I also sometimes cry during toilet paper commercials, so it can happen at the drop of a hat, but just kind of going with it, you know, it could be something personal I'm revealing to a group about my journey around my pain, or it could be professional, just being like the devastation of the human rights violation that we call the war on drugs, and it'll just bring me to tears, and I keep speaking and going with passion and conviction as a result you know, I, I still feel a little bit like I exposed something, but then later this happened again and again. Now that I got feedback that people were inspired to learn something because I was willing to show my heart, you know? So that comes from the existential training I'm done, but it, it didn't come easily. You know, I've really worked on cultivating self-acceptance and a close relationship with my feelings and just letting it all hang out. And there's so much freedom in that, especially when I get these disconfirming experiences from others, 
you know, that I feel vulnerable or weak or inferior or exposed or something wrong with me, but I don't get rejected, quite the opposite. And then there's this like feedback loop of self-acceptance and external validation that just seems to be a relief after, you know, spending a lot of my life struggling with unworthiness and inauthenticity, which like makes me want to cry right now. (laughs) So It's it's really powerful stuff. It's been a long journey to get here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with all this said and kind of the history and where you came from and starting out, like why write a book now? Like what kind of, how did this start? Oh gosh. Before we get into the content of the book, cause like we want to talk about that and that's really important, but how did this come to <laughs> be? I'm sorry. I just realized something. I don't know if you can see it, but this piece of paper right here. So for years, this is hilarious. I just look back and I'm like, oh, that's why I keep that. So I was doing this work with clients around curiosity and just kind of noticing this life changing, that it's a life changing superpower. And I started, it started to crystallize this process that I was calling radical curiosity. And that probably has been since about 2014. I've been calling it radical curiosity or just like thinking of it as radical curiosity. And then it really started to crystallize as a process. I'm not really sure when, but just, I started to realize, wait, you're doing something. It's something. (laughs) It's a thing. And then I, you know, carried this idea that I wanted to write this book. So I guess it's been really been going on for about 10 years, but then I was like, for about, you know, four years ago, I was like, I really want to write a book. And I started talking about it. And then with my partner, one night we were just doing what we do, hanging out. Oh, she's a psychedelic artist, by the way, this is her work. Beautiful. Uh, Liddy Love on Instagram. Well, Lots we'll tag her in the show notes. We'll tag her. Cool. Book. I'm glad I wore the shirt. So yeah. her and I were talking and all of a sudden, like that piece of paper, these points just like came out and it was just like, and she wrote it down and it was radical curiosity, a pathway to love and acceptance, well-being, also known as wellness evolved. And my name, my practice is wellness evolved. So, and then I wrote eight points that were like eight chapters. And like, that was four years ago. And then I didn't do anything for like two years with that piece of paper or a year and a half. And then like one night she was just like, when are you going to start writing this? Like, I'm mad at you. <laughs> Get and going. Then, yeah. And then I just started and I went to a writer's retreat at Xenia on Bowen Island. Amazing, amazing writer's retreat. We should tag that too. Sure. Uh, a process they do. I can't remember the name of it right now, but that was instrumental. So I went there in Valentine's Day 2022 and just started writing. Wow. And, and that's that's the story of that. Then I was as I was starting to write it, because because I think this, you know, I've been tracking this concept, radical curiosity, you know, Tara Brock, radical acceptance, one of my yeah. favorite books. I love that book, life-changing, yeah. big foundation of this process. I, I like to think of my work sometimes as like Tara Brock with more fucks. And the unedited version. <laughs> <laughs> so then there was like, she came up with radical self-compassion. Other people were doing this. Radical honesty is the thing. And I was like, oh, radical curiosity. And then I kept checking. No one had written a book called Radical Curiosity. And then right as I was starting the book, I checked and someone had written a book called Radical Curiosity. And I was like, oh, shit. And, and then that's where Radical Curiosity, this process started to become curious as fuck. And so I'm really grateful to the person who wrote Radical Curiosity because, yeah, Curious AF is definitely what this is supposed to be. It's got a little more edge. Yeah, like me. Which is amazing, <laughs> which I I like the edge. I think as therapists, it's nice to see therapists with a bit of edge, a bit of difference, a bit of... 
Just um, be fucking real. Like be a human. Don't like play the role of a therapist who's it, human. It's really you know? hard for people. Yeah. So I, I, I forget I, what it is sometimes, but yeah, but it wasn't easy for me to learn to be myself either. So yeah, good yeah, reminder. It's a, long, and, it's a long road for many and you're on it and you're doing this amazing work. So tell us you decided to start it. It was, it was a process in getting going, dive into it. What? Sure. Sure. So the other thing I want to say was like, I couldn't figure out the style, like the tone at first, my voice. I was like, you know, what is my voice? Like, is it like this sacred stuff like Tara Brock that I really love? Or is it this like irreverent stuff like Mark Manson that where it's like, you know, the existential irreverence with humor and dirty jokes well, yeah, your writer's voice is going to differ from like your therapist's voice or your, you know, your your adult voice or, you know, the voice. Well, of- actually, you know what? I mean, kind of, but it sort of doesn't really like, and okay. my children's swear jar is a testament to that. They get a lot of ice cream from all the fucks that I have to give. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I was just thinking the other day, I was like, I really nailed it as a parent, you know, how kids rebel against their parents. My children are never going to swear or have anger management issues or have experiment with recreational drugs just to rebel against me. Perfect. <laughs> so, Secret um, sauce right there. You heard yeah. it first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do not follow my parenting model. But no, they seem to be doing really well with themselves. So I must be doing something right. But in terms of the voice thing, like I was like, is it sacred or is it irreverent? And then it just kind of hit me. It's sacred irreverence. And it was like, I can be both. You know, I think I struggled many years of being like, am I like a kind person or am I a jerk? Like, which one is it? I can be unkind to people, but like, I'm really kind. And then it was like this tug of war in my head. And, you know, I remember just being like, wait, there's space in me to be all of those things and I don't have to limit myself. And so it was similar with the, tone and yeah i think like loving irreverence or sacred irreverence is really my voice in the ways i show up in many different areas so that was really important and helpful to figure it out like what the tone was and so yeah can i can i jump in a little bit and tell you a little bit about please you're still writing it is that right i'm still writing it i'm like i've got 140,000 words which just boggles my mind that i've done this wow that's amazing And it's not about the word count, but like, again, now we're talking about imposter syndrome. You're getting into writing a book and you're like, holy shit, I'm writing a book. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're great. I love it. I love it. This is fun to talk to you. Yeah, no, it's like, I don't have anything to say. How dare I try and write a book? You know, like who's Who's going to read this? Who's going to read it? Right. By the time you're at 100,000 words, if not well before then, it's no longer about, I have nothing to say. Now, the question of who's going to read this is still there, but it's no longer a, like, have I got something to say? So that like has been really wonderful to experience that, but it's also now, it's not about word count and getting more words. I've got to like find out how to like eliminate like 60,000 words that are just, you know. Um, The best advice I got was from, sorry to interrupt, cut you off there, but the the writer's retreat I did at Xenia on Bowen Island, Angeline Toth, who's an author and just a fantastic human being, she runs that retreat center. She taught us like, write it forward. That was the first thing, write it forward. And that means just like, get it out. Don't censor, don't edit. Don't worry about if it's good, write, 
blah, 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 blah. Just write it forward. And like, I started to do that. And that's how I found my voice. That's amazing. And and it fits with what I like to tell my clients and what I like to tell my kids, you know, anything worth doing well is worth sucking at at first. And why we struggle to do that and why people struggle to do that, again, it's getting this idea of unconscious unworthiness, I think, which has become a really big part of the book and what curiosity can do. So stop me at any point if I'm going too fast or throwing too many things at the wall. Can we make that agreement? Agreed. Uh, no problem. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear more about, about the book. I mean, we had a conversation months ago, but I also didn't want to pre-converse today's podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I am right, right. curious as fuck about what you're going to yeah. say. Let's dive Thank in. You. You're warming my Nova Scotian heart. Beautiful. So, you know, I think this thing called imposter syndrome, right? We call this thing imposter syndrome and, and I think what we're not calling a syndrome, the idea is we don't want to be driven and fueled by our unconscious unworthiness. We want to have our actions fueled by bringing our weakness or vulnerabilities into light and carrying them with us as part of our mission, right? So, you know, I'll go backwards, kind of this idea. There's no such thing as imposter syndrome. I'll start here. We're going to end there. I'm not going to talk about that, but that's the point I want to kind of make it or get to. And we'll take a journey along the way of various concepts. And I recently encountered Adam Grant's new book. Do you know who Adam Grant is? I do know Adam Grant. I haven't read the new book. He's he's really cool, right? He he really makes things digestible. I've got a couple things as a therapist, as a writer. I think this is also comes from my years running group therapy. You've got to, it's called edutainment. If you want people to learn, you have to entertain them a little bit, you keep, know? Keep them engaged. You got to keep them engaged or they're... You know, so that's what happens to me. Um, yeah, yeah. And and also the other thing is like if I have not been understood by the people I serve, I'm useless. So fancy words, concepts, clinical language. You know, I a lot of experience working in remote communities with people with multiple barriers, and you know, you're working to explain things at a grade eight level, grade six level, ideally, right? When you're talking, if you can't do that, you're useless. That was kind of where it came from. And so, but Adam Grant is really great at being both edutaining and digestible. So really, really love him. And his new book is called Think Again. And just, just reading it right now at the perfect time. It's awesome. I heard Gabor Mate talk about this, his new book, about the myth of normal, also just so timely for humanity at this current point in our history. But he's like, he was talking about, I heard him on a podcast talking about writing a book and he was like, the things that come in your path when you're writing a book, it's phenomenal. It's like an article, a book, an idea, something. It just comes at the perfect time and then it becomes part of it. And I think that was the another myth I, I realized. You know, I used to think people wrote a book and it's like you have the book and you're like, oh, they knew what they wanted to say and they wrote it. Isn't that how it works? Holy goodness. I have learned so much from this process. I had no idea what I wanted to say as I started it. So if you don't know what you think, write Good a book. Do it out. anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a great learning experience. So he's written this book, Think Again, and he really validated my view and told me I'm on the right track because there's more dots to connect about the big picture of how curiosity is, you know, and this is where I come in. There's a lot of people talking about curiosity right now, Adam Grant being one of them in his new book, Think Again. But there's a lot of people highlighting curiosity as a really wonderful thing for our well-being. I think what's different about where I'm going with it is that I'm highlighting that curiosity is really an emotional regulation tool. It's not mm-hmm. about finding answers. You know, it's about taking the edge off of the intensity of our inner ex- painful inner experiences. It helps us digest our undigested feelings. 
which lurk in the dark in the form of unconscious unworthiness. So I know that was a lot. And I'd love to try to make sense of that by saying more, but I'm just wondering, like, how did that land for you initially? It's one of those things that I want to write down and I want to look at it. Then I want to step away. Then I want to come back. Then I want to step away. And it's like the weight of it is powerful, but it's also one of those things that needs to kind of, you know, simmer on the stove, so to speak. Okay, good, good. And and I I like, thank you for that. You know, I I really like to boil things down. Speaking of simmering, you know, like emotional, (laughs) I, I don't see myself as a therapist. I actually see myself as an emotional digestion coach. Okay. Um, I like that. Yeah. Because I think undigested emotions are the source of so many of our problematic and maladaptive coping strategies, Right. you know, addiction, compulsive sexuality, gambling, gaming, yeah, um, food problems, all these things, yeah, right? Of course. Interpersonal challenges, undigested emotional pain is you know, the root of it. And it's driven by this unconscious unworthiness. And so anyway, I got, I got, I won't go too deep into it now. Let's kind of go big picture now, if that's okay. Step back. Okay. So, you know, but first this is wild. I was on Bowen Island. (laughs) This is going to make me emotional. I was on Bowen Island working on this book, talking to my 13 year old at the time. And I really wanted to inspire her. She's got a very powerful voice. Right. And it's just like, she's so, so talented. And I really wanted to inspire her to write. And so I was like, you know, like I'm doing this thing and I'd love if you wrote something for the book and like, I don't know if it was five minutes or like five hours, doesn't matter, but she sends me this poem and it is now the first thing people read when they open the book. Um, If you go to my website, which we'll share at the end on the Curious AF page, there's an art piece by my partner. And so she's going to be doing the art on the cover. Nice. (laughs) And then my daughter is going to be having a poem on the inside and a poem at the end. So it's like I'm sandwiched between this love of these, you know, amazing people, brilliant, amazing people that I have in my life. So this is, this is, she sent me this, she had already written this and it didn't, it wasn't written specifically for the book. Then she wrote a book at the end. I think it's called stay curious. She wrote that specifically for the book, but this she had already written. So I'm going to read this. This is by my 13-year-old kid, who's now 15. A collage of memories gushing in, erupting like lava from a volcano. A touch can amaze or burn, anger or enjoyment, fury or optimism. You decide. You possess it. You control it. It's under your authority. Use it or not, it will always be there. And if you prefer to ignore it, it will use you. Wow. So if you understand that poem, you do not need to read this book. That's how, <laughs> please read, read it anyway. But I, you know, when she sent me that and the fact that she had already written that, I was like, there are no accidents. But really what that is about, I think, is this idea that curiosity is an emotional digestion tool. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I might've got this from acceptance and commitment therapy, but I talked to people about their PI. PI stands for painful inner experiences. Painful inner experiences are thoughts, feelings, memories, sensations. A really hot tip as a therapist, you know, when we do our, hey, what are you feeling? Or what, what you know, like, what's tell me about you. For you. Yeah. What's coming up for you? And they give you that like dog with the curious look, kind of like, what the hell are you talking about, weirdo? Yeah. Um, that, that pie frame is what I use. Like, what are you noticing in terms of thoughts, feelings, memories, or sensations right now? And it really focuses people on, gives them a frame 
for looking inward. So, so I really, you know, curious as fuck is a process for teaching people how to do curiosity fishing in the depths of their own unconscious. And what we're trying to hook are our pie thoughts, feelings, memories, sensations that are hiding, lurking in the dark, that are undigested as a result of times in our life where we were too small and the pain was too big and it overwhelmed us. So we split from it. And, you know, you're probably, this is probably isn't new stuff for you, right? Or for a lot of people, but like, it's that split from the pie, from the painful inner experiences, the overwhelm that it was at the time and us being, it being too big and us too being too small, that leads to self-abandonment. And, you know, Gabor Mate has a quote, there's two fundamental needs in childhood, authenticity and attachment. When authenticity threatens attachment, attachment trumps authenticity every time. So what does that mean? When people don't feel safe to be themselves, emotionally safe, because they feel like they're going to be judged, hurt, rejected, not seen, abandoned, they'll become someone else so that they can feel safe in connection. And that's how the human being's wired, right? Yeah, so, um, we adapt through that. Yeah. 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 So that Gabor Mate quote is just so brilliant. And, you know, I like to talk about and encourage people to see that we've all, we're all running from a version of the same story. There's something wrong with me. And if anyone finds out, I'm going to be rejected. If there's something wrong with me, that's the authenticity. I'm going to be rejected. That's the attachment system. So, you know, another piece is this idea that the past is alive. People come into therapy and they don't want to look at the past or they think it's inconsequential, you know? And what I say is the past, you might be done with the past, but the past ain't done with you. Mm. We are always living in relationship with our past and the power it has to influence our life is in direct proportion to how aware we are of the nature of the material. So feeling into past hurts is the way to process or digest the pain so that it doesn't control your life. And the depth of the pain is related to how long ago it happened or how traumatic it was. It's not the pain Olympics. You don't need a medal in order to qualify for being traumatized. Certainly not in this culture that we live in. Right. And also we have developmental traumas are significant because of these interrelational beings that we are, where we're wired in via co-regulation. And so if no one was there to tell you they saw the pain and it wasn't your fault, this can make it become deeply embedded and almost structured a part of the personality. And then people think that they are their wounds. They are the result of their self-abandonment. That's not who we are. That's not our true nature. How we protected ourselves when we were, when we needed to, and how we survived emotionally is not who we are, right? So we've all, I really want to persuade people, my clients, my readers, <laughs> my children, everyone, sometimes a little bit too much. My children are like, dad, everything doesn't have to be a teachable moment. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm learning guys. So we've always got one foot in the past and one foot in the present. And as we walk through the world, curiosity is a tool that can be, help you be aware of the pa- foot in the past. You're currently standing in what it's standing in when you get triggered in the present. Mm -hmm. So it's not about looking back to get stuck there or become a victim or blame our parents or whatever. It's about gaining insight into the factors that have conditioned us, particularly the ways we didn't get our needs met and how that hurt us and how we then developed like a callus around that wound to protect ourselves and how that has led to a cascading set of experiences that lead us to basically be triggered in the moment. So you can use curiosity for two things to get insight on how our wounds get inflamed in our current relationships. And it can be also an emotional digestion tool. Mm. 
Hi friends, we're going to need to take a pause there. This episode is completely jam-packed with information, so much that we've had to split it into two episodes. Join us next time for part two. See you then. That's it for this episode of Launch Your Practice. I hope you found the information valuable and actionable. Remember, building a profitable private practice takes time, effort, and persistence. But with the right mindset and strategies, you can achieve your goals and make a real impact on the lives of your clients. If you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you have a moment, I would be so appreciative if you took some time to leave me a review. Your feedback helps me improve and reach more people just like you. If you have any feedback or future topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Launch Your Practice. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for tuning in to Launch Your Practice. Until next time, keep building your dream private practice and remember to take care of yourself along the way.